Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of Sustainability Now here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio 106.5 FM and we live stream to the world at forwardradio.org. And also we encourage you every week to go to forwardradio.org to become a part of our station, whether it's as a sponsor you can sponsor an entire day's broadcast for just 20 bucks how about that uh, or you could get become a volunteer and get behind these microphones or, or behind the scenes here at forward radio uh, it's all volunteer powered uh, community voices is what we're all about trying to cover issues that maybe aren't getting enough attention in the mainstream media or elsewhere uh, and along those lines i am really excited this week to be talking about passenger rail uh, that is an issue that just does not get enough attention and then all of a sudden, uh, on March 31st, uh, uh, seemingly out of nowhere, I'm sure it wasn't, but it seemed like that to me, <laughs> the, uh, the the new federal administration announced uh, a, a new plan to expand passenger rail as part of uh, Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure and jobs plan. Uh, and what really caught my attention is Louisville was suddenly on the map, uh, a map called Amtrak Connects Us. Uh, and we're going to talk about that and the potential of that today with my guest, David Coit, in the studio. Welcome, David. Thanks. Great to be here, Justin. David is a jack of all trades. He's got hands in all kinds of sustainability pies, and we might be able to talk about some of those today after we get done with rail. But let's see how it goes. Uh, he is also president of the Coalition for the Advancement of Regional Transportation, CART, uh, which you can, if you want to play along at home, they've got a website. You can find them at cartky.org. That's C-A-R-T-K-Y dot org. Uh, imagine uh, may maybe they're on Facebook. I don't know. We, actually, <laughs> we do, and yeah. it's, not, it's, a, it's a small presence yeah, on Facebook. Okay. But we, we do have a page, so, which I'm going to start using a little more aggressively. Oh, I think, hey, so. yeah. Well, there might be reason to do so. Uh, so uh, did, did, were you blindsided by this announcement too, David, or did you see no, it coming? No, I've been aware of Biden's interest in trains for a while, and and uh, had actually contacted uh, Kentucky's new Secretary of Transportation to uh, Jim Gray about that's right making some preparations for dealing with this uh, <laughs> this largess that's coming our way. Uh, but I think Jim has been sidetracked. He's been put in charge of I think COVID is that right work for the state. <laughs> oh, so Lord. he's kind of wearing a lot of hats, and uh, so, so we haven't been able to continue that conversation. But hopefully the bug is in his ear, yeah. and uh, they'll uh, we'll start thinking about that in Kentucky. Well, I, I got to announce, you know, I did we did reach out to Jim Gray's office and invited him onto the program today. Uh, uh, and we did receive a response saying at the time, at this time, we respectfully decline the interview opportunity, but we will continue to monitor developments on the Amtrak Louisville concept to expand Kentucky's transportation network. So definitely some interest there. And yeah, I mean, I knew that Biden was interested in rail because he used to commute by rail, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right. From Delaware to D.C. Right. Uh, so he, he understands the value of this, I think. Uh, but, you know, presidents come in with all kinds of <laughs> priorities and who knows where they're going to go, given the, the winds of the time. But, it, wow, how exciting that passenger rail is part of this $2 trillion package. Uh, yeah. You want to talk a little bit more about the plan and what you've seen? Yeah, the plan is is focused not nearly as widely as I as I would like, but they got to start somewhere. Yeah. So they're yeah. going to they're going to continue to upgrade a bunch of the East Coast corridors. I think that's it. There's some work out of Chicago in the upper part of the Midwest that will eventually benefit us. But there's uh, Iowa, Illinois, and Michigan 
have all had progressive passenger rail plans on the books and, and been working on those for the last decade. Wisconsin had a really good plan, yes. but the Republican governor Scott came Walker in and killed, killed it. it. Yeah. And the uh, same thing with Ohio. Ohio had a wonderful plan, and the Republican governor there came in and killed it as well. So it's uh, unfortunately that you know there there seems to be a, a partisan divide when uh, when there shouldn't be. They, yeah. You know, they, there's uh, I guess that the people that would be against rail are the highway interests, the automobile interests, the uh, oil company interests, because rail is so, so much more efficient. Mm. But the things that should be bringing us together are, one, that efficiency, because at this point in time, transportation is the largest contributor of CO2 from this country into the atmosphere. Yeah, uh, over the last few years, it went from energy production uh, which was the number one contributor uh, by a few points to transportation because we energy we've we've uh, with all the windmills, wind farms, solar, and uh, the movement away from coal to natural gas have all decreased the CO2 from uh, energy production, and and uh, left transportation as the number one contributor to greenhouse gases. And it definitely frustrates me as I see more and more attention being poured into solving this crisis by putting in electric vehicle charging stations as if somehow sticking with a you know private car automobile based transportation system is being a sustainable solution for the future if only we could power it with electricity which of course around here is mostly <laughs> powering it with coal and natural gas right, right. yeah yeah there's there's a it's there's a, a lot of fallacies going around about these kind of things um i drive an electric car so but i also produce a lot of electricity so it's, a, it's, so it's so i feel like i'm, I'm, I'm slightly justified that. And, and they are uh, they are advantages uh, uh, to that climate wise that i think we're going to have to see those uh, electric vehicles as a transition and and the fact that all the major car companies are really looking at yeah getting away from gasoline engines should be a wake-up call to us all. Mm -hmm. And if we can get on board and uh, make that happen faster, we'll all be healthier. But the economics of transportation, there's one, one part of it, and there's, there's, you know, there's your personal economics of what it costs to drive. Mm -hmm. There's also the cost to the states and the federal mm -hmm. government of maintaining the highways. And those, our interstate system is the most expensive infrastructure <laughs> on the planet oh my gosh. <laughs> and to maintain that we spend trillions you yeah. know uh, and we're and we're falling behind uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, well it's most of that is is maintenance yeah. uh, and and what we keep doing is shooting ourselves in the foot we've keep allowing trucks to drive with more weight Mm. And the weight of those trucks is what does 99.9% of the damage to our highways. Mm. This is, these are, I'm not making this up. These are uh, AASHTO statistics. And the AASHTO is the Association of American Highway Transportation Engineers or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're, 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 they're the official uh, professional group of highway planners. They've, they've recognized that our highways, as we're currently using them, are not sustainable. You can't continue to destroy them every time you drive across them and expect them to serve you over the long time. So partisan politics, or just politics, serving the trucking industry has been not serving the public in general. The economics of maintaining our highways is terrible. The Federal Highway Trust Fund, which when I was a young man was a 
was seemed like an endless pile of money mm. has been bankrupt for about 10 years now. Mm. And we've been borrowing money to meet our federal transportation needs instead of socking it away. So we are losing ground with every square foot of pavement we put down. Yeah. And that's just in terms of the economies of transportation. You know, and it, it's actually even worse if you look at the environmental impacts because that money is not going to the things that we should be investing in, which are the efficiencies and the safety of rail. Yeah, the safety yeah. is huge compared yeah. to all those trucks, those heavy yeah. trucks, which take a long time to slow down, and when yeah. they hit something, do a lot of damage. Right. Well, right? I mean, we, we've, we kill more people on our automobiles every year in this country than died in the Vietnam War. Wow, every year. And now that's just the people that die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's between 30 and 40,000 I think at this point. How many more hundreds of thousands are permanently injured or disabled, lifelong costs to their family and to the society? You know, our, our interstates are mayhem, yeah. <laughs> and they're not getting any better. Yeah. You know, and uh, it not... was so nice during COVID when the traffic oh, dried right. off. Yes. I mean, I mean, I felt so much better out there, and now, <laughs> now the back, we're back to scary again. So yes, I, yeah. I mean, if you add up all the health impacts, uh, obviously not just to humans too, but wildlife as well. But mm -hmm. just considering the the pollutants, the particulate matter. The flooding caused by all those impervious surfaces and the, the damage to property from that. Uh, I mean, you can go on and on and tally it up. And boy, it seems like a train wreck, as they say. <laughs> well, it seemed like it seemed like a, a, a California highway wreck is what it seemed like. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the, I think the efficiencies of, of rail versus passenger cars is on the order of eight or ten times more efficient. I think it's uh, at least that for uh, trucking yeah comparisons for moving the same amount of goods and then you know then there's then what cost can you put on the the rest of the health impacts that i'm sure somebody can put a cost on oh, it but yeah it's, it's kind of staggering when you just just think about it yeah in, in terms of that so uh, we need to embrace biden's plan and push even a little harder Mm. And especially here in Kentucky. I mean, yeah. they're, they're looking at bringing Amtrak up from Atlanta to Nashville. And they're looking at bringing uh, better service <laughs> to Indianapolis and Cincinnati. So Louisville kind of sits at this dead zone. A couple of dead ends. <laughs> you know, yeah. where, where, uh, where Ford gets to sell us vehicles and, yeah. you know, and all that. But, uh, but we really don't have good, safe uh, access to the rest of the world. And it did not used to be this way, yeah. right? Rail is what built this nation. And certainly Louisville used to be at, at the center of a lot of rail lines. We call it the Big Four Bridge because there were four different rail companies that, that used that bridge at one one time. And what, at the height of passenger rail in Louisville? I, can't, I should have looked up the statistic. It was something like 60 to 70 passenger trains a day leaving our union station down yeah. here on broadway just a few blocks away right and when the last train pulled out of louisville in i guess they it restarted again for a bit kind of a pathetic yeah. service in the early 2000s right but certainly when i moved here in 2009 not a not a passenger rail in sight uh and we, <laughs> yeah you missed that you missed yeah. that brief <laughs> that brief. brief very bad service <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and a, yet i still endure i still take 
passenger rail every chance I get. So yes, yeah. I will hop on a bus and, and go to Indianapolis or Cincinnati and the trains come in the middle of the night, of course. So it's really inconvenient, but boy, it doesn't have to be that way, right? No, no, it's right. Uh, well, I saw the last passenger train come from Chicago through New Albany. Oh, to, wow. It's hidden going down to Atlanta in 1979. Wow. So I, uh, that was the last through train passenger service that we had. Was it called the Floridian or yeah. something? Yeah, yeah, all and, the way to and, uh, Florida. It, I never rode that one. Mm. I, you know, I did. I think I probably rode one out of Union Station to Minneapolis when I was six. Yeah, in the middle of winter, oh, <laughs> you know, wow. when nobody could possibly travel up that far and that in the, <laughs> under those conditions. But uh, those were the the good old days. But uh, when you could really go someplace safely in the middle of winter and and. Uh, up north but um yeah and i i ride the trains too i the train from um i guess it's the cardinal that runs yeah. from uh cincinnati to washington dc is a wonderful train it if is. anybody ever has a chance to take that i've ridden it probably half a dozen times and it's 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 a wonderful ride you go up the new river gorge yeah it's uh, it's spectacular it's comfortable it's calming it's it's homey <laughs> it's it's not and it's safe yes, <laughs> yeah very safe and you you arrive at union station yep. and, and uh, <laughs> washington dc is spread out in front of you but yeah. uh, we actually used to drive up and park in Maysville to pick it up because oh, the, right. one, it didn't arrive at the middle of the night. You were it was daylight and you had better parking than Cincinnati. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, just a clue for all your great sure. aficionados. But, <laughs> um, but I've also taken the trains uh, out of Chicago to Minneapolis and Seattle and Portland and uh, once rode one to Santa Fe. As oh, fact. yeah. And and those trains are still active, and I'm glad to say. And there's more of those mm-hmm. options coming on, which is going to be really exciting. But as I get older, having an alternative is a lot, a Absolutely. lot more important. Yeah, because I just I'm just not up for those twelve hour drives anymore. So. <laughs> right, right. I'm speaking to David Coit, president of the Coalition for the Advancement of Regional Transportation, or CART. You can find them online at cartky.org, and we're excited about the new plan that uh, was released by the Biden administration on March 31st, and a, a great, long, detailed story in the Courier Journal about it, which uh, you all can check out. Called "Could Amtrak Trains Return to Louisville?" Yes. And Biden's jobs plan could be the engine that came out on April 1st. And at first I'm like, is this an April Fool's joke? Is this really, <laughs> <laughs> is this really <laughs> happening? Uh, <laughs> and then the plan, the Amtrak Connects Us plan envisions up to 30 or more potential new rail routes and up to 160 more communities served around the country by 2035 with Louisville among the cities that we would be part of that new service. And let's talk about what we would like to see if we're really going to invest, you know, on the order of billions of dollars in a, a f- better functioning national rail system. And especially what it, what it should mean, what should it should look like here in Louisville and our region instead of this sort of dead end from Indianapolis? What mm-hmm. do you envision? Oh, I, I envision being able to get on a train here in downtown Louisville and being in Chicago in four hours. Right. 
and not having to deal with airport security lines bring and, on uh, alcohol all whatever stuff. you want just yeah being able to eat <laughs> take and your drink <laughs> and, and uh, kick back and sleep walk around if you want to yeah they're really it's really a, a so a, different from flying yeah flying or even driving yeah you know i mean mm-hmm. you you really do have leg room and yeah you really can get up and have a nice meal yeah and to be able to get up to chicago quickly and back in the same day wow Take in a ball game, you know, uh, whatever. I yeah. mean, go to a museum. There's go on up to Minneapolis, <laughs> which yeah. is uh, where I would like to head. And from Chicago, they're they're talking about Chicago as a regional hub. So mm-hmm. then you could head out west from there. Either, yeah. Either down to you know, you can go to Southern California. You can go to Northern California. You can go to Portland. You can go to Seattle. There's lines all the way down into Iowa now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Illinois has done a really nice job of providing good service down in the, through the, throughout their state. And uh, I, I think that's we're seeing some real nice service coming back to parts of Michigan as well. Yeah. So these are good starts. And we just have to recognize that <laughs> we have to make a little noise uh, here in Kentucky if we want to get a part of this. Yeah. You know, looking at all kinds of transportation— in 19, no, I think in 1927, you could get from Hazard to Lexington easier than you can do it today. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was trains. You could yeah, take you a train. Take you a could train, take right? a train uh, from downtown Hazard wow. and be in Lexington wow. and then get back the same day. Yeah. It's hard to drive, <laughs> make that drive through the mountains. Yeah. And, and, of course, that part of the, our state, uh, we're paying huge amounts of money to bring people from these poor areas to the regional hospitals to, for whatever treatments they need, right. everything from dialysis to their whatever else are, you know they need to get services for. And right now we're paying individual vehicles with individual drivers wow. to, to go to these places, pick people up, deliver them, wait, and then drive them back. That is as inefficient as it can, <laughs> as it can be. And in a world that's, that really is running out of energy, and shouldn't be using what we've got as we have. This is, doesn't make any sense, yeah. and it doesn't. And it's certainly uh, going to bite us in the long run mm. if we don't start addressing these issues today. And I would like to see our, our passenger rail network even more connected than just you know going north is great, but why can't we get to Nashville on a train or St. Louis exactly. for crying out loud or Lexington? Why why couldn't there be a commuter train between Louisville and Lexington? That makes so much sense. I mean, Lots you know, half the, half the traffic on, yeah. on 64 is commuters. You know, I, I make that trip at least two times a week. I, yeah. mean, I go from here down to Harrodsburg where I have a hydro plant. And uh, working in, in an industrial facility can be dangerous. Mm. But getting there <laughs> on the interstate <laughs> is probably much more dangerous. <laughs> so you know, so I, I really think that we have to start considering all these aspects, you know. Mm-hmm. Climate change is very real. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, th- I don't know if anybody can seriously deny it now. Yeah. Now yeah. they may, they may have a lot of incentives to de- deny <laughs> it because they may be a car salesman or an oil dealer or something. But you know, the the the, the reality is that the, this planet is in serious trouble, and I don't say that lightly. And I and I, and I think that. Uh, <laughs> I can make myself very unpopular with some of the things I'm tempted to say. But uh, I, I think we have to realize that we are at war. 
mm. with ourselves. Mm. And, you know, we are going to allow this treasure of a planet to slip away because it's just so convenient not to do the, the right mm. thing. Doing the wrong thing is just too convenient. Right. Driving everywhere. Right. We've made know, it convenient just, to do you know, that. And we've got a very rough period to get through while we make the transitions to where it's convenient to do the right thing. Right. As it is in other nations, right? We can learn a lot from how the Japanese and the Europeans have invested in rail. (laughs) Go to Europe. (laughs) I mean, really, the European rail system is astounding. (laughs) It really is. I mean, 50 years ago, I traveled in Europe and was taking trains. And they used to, everybody laughed at the Spanish trains because they were just these, you know, they were the the last ones to really upgrade. Well, the Greeks may have been a little later, but they, 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 they were, and everybody made fun of the Spanish trains. Well, I tell you. The Spanish trains now are just stellar. Yeah, I mean, as a tourist, any place that a tourist would want to go in Spain, you can get there without crowding the streets for the locals, without taking parking spots, without being confused about where you're going. Yeah. And we should think about that here. You know, I, I as I drive down to Harrodsburg a couple times a week, I I see I'm on the Bourbon Trail. Now, that's a little unsettling <laughs> to be on an interstate that's also encouraging people to drink bourbon. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's something a little bit nuts about that, you know. And I would love to see a bourbon rail trail. Yes. You know, where you could get on a train and, and stop at these various really things. Really have a good time. You know? yeah, yeah. Now that would, then you wouldn't have to worry about <laughs> how much of this you're tasting. And you could, so we need to realize that rail is a tremendous tool for attracting tourists tourism yeah if you're from japan yeah you know you're going to want to rent a car in the u.s and try to figure out our driving laws (laughs) and get around and see things no you want to go to mammoth cave you want to go to do the bourbon tour you want to see these things well how nice if you could get on a train and do that yeah now, maybe, you know, your destination isn't exactly where the station is, but there would be then buses that would meet that train and take you directly there. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like we can't figure this out, folks. <laughs> I mean, it's not like this isn't really pretty simple stuff when you get right down to it. It just takes a commitment. It takes a willingness to change and try a few things. And, you know, they say that the things that made humans so successful is we're adaptable. Yeah. I haven't seen that adaptability lately. Mm. I see most people afraid to try anything. Mm. And having lost that ability to adapt, I think has made us very vulnerable to the, to the changes that are happening around us. That's a very good point. Yeah, when I'm on our national rail network on Amtrak, I often, I often meet some of those Europeans or Japanese you know, who come from places where they expect, you know, good, efficient rail. And it is fun to have conversations with them about how different it is. <laughs> and they're usually stunned yeah. <laughs> how bad this is. Because, it, you know, in 1930, we had the best rail network on the world. Wow. You know, we had passenger trains that were doing 80, 100 miles an hour, you know, out some of the places out west, which was unheard of. Yeah. You know, so we've come a long way down. Mm. You know, I mm. mean, Europe was smart enough. They did build highways. You know, and they are selling cars, but they've never abandoned their rail. Right. What we did is we defunded uh, our rail system in a lot of different ways to fund the highway system. Yeah. Uh, we took the mail off the rails, which mm. was a big, big supporter. 
a lot of deregulation allowed the sh closing of the short lines that served a lot of these small communities and was important for those communities. And uh, then they were forced to build and roads and buy cars and do all those kinds of things. So these things didn't happen overnight, and they're not going to be corrected overnight. And they won't be corrected at all if we don't start soon. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. there is not a lot of time to get this together. <laughs> right. So, Well, here's the thing. So I'm trying to make an equivalence between the way we manage our highway system and the way we manage rail. We have federal highways. These are owned and maintained by the federal government, right? We don't have such a thing in rail anymore. Is that no, correct? No, Kentucky actually has forbidden itself to own rail lines. <laughs> the state forbade itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's some, there's some regulation that came across that there's, there's something. <laughs> I think it's in the Constitution now, actually. But yeah, well, the the people that killed off our urban light rail systems, yeah. which is Standard Oil, uh, Goodyear, and mm -hmm. uh, but they they bought up and and basically killed all the urban uh, light rail systems so that they could sell buses and, and cars. And we let that happen. Good marketing is doesn't necessarily result in good results. <laughs> right, right. And so we fell for the marketing, and everybody has a car, and nobody has a place to park or, <laughs> and, uh, or room to drive it and, yeah. and, uh, or can afford it. So, so this, this didn't happen because... Rail was no longer needed. It didn't mm. happen because rail was no longer wanted. It, it happened because very rich and powerful people manipulated the system in a way that killed it. And they got away without any any trouble at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, My guest today here on Sustainability Now is David Coit, president of CART, the Coalition for the Advancement of Regional Transportation. Again, you can find them online at cartky.org. We're talking about the plans recently released by the Biden administration as part of the $2 trillion infrastructure and jobs plan to expand passenger rail service around the country and include returning trains right to us here in Derby City. Uh, these are very early days on the plans, right? We, we wouldn't know, like, what's station they'd want to use uh, or, or any kind of level of detail like that. Um, but uh, it's probably not too late to be influencing the plan at all. I, citizens can still get involved in this, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think where we have to exert our influence is on our local and state leaders. Yeah. Amtrak can do a lot, but the states have to be supportive. Exactly. And and uh, that's only fair. Yeah. Yeah, and, and who wants to who wants to spend time in a house you're not welcome at? Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, and I, I think over the years, Cart's pitched these ideas a number of times. And at one point, they the, the state Kentucky even did some analysis. Oh, really? Yeah. But it was kind of like throwing us a bone rather than any serious uh, analysis it mm. was they spent twenty thousand dollars to mm. to ask a highway engineer what, <laughs> what happened I, I don't know whatever happened to that you know it was it was i never saw the the actual study but i i got the report from the transportation cabinet and uh, it was, they just said oh there's no no call for this so wow yeah you know, but they had never really looked at anything they didn't even look at coming into downtown they looked at connecting Louisville's airport and Cincinnati's airport, you know, huh. which 
didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. we're looking at an alternative to flying. Yeah. Uh, you know, why would anybody want to go to an airport to take a train? <laughs> take you a know, train. I mean, you, you got to deal with the parking. It's usually the airport's out of town. The advantages of the train is they take you right to the right city to center. Downtown. They always have. That's yeah. that's been their that's been the the, the real treat. Yeah, it you is. Know, uh, people in Hazard used to show up every day when the train would come into town. Yeah. Or, you know, to meet the train because you see who was coming to town, and you know, yeah. it was, uh, always exciting, I guess. So, <laughs> but probably wouldn't be quite like that today, but uh, <laughs> maybe. But it certainly <laughs> would spur some economic development around the station or, or oh, services yeah. to the station. And then I think I wonder if there needs to be a, a more broader conversation about both passenger and freight service on oh, yeah. our rails. I think that's the one way that most Louisvillans are familiar with trains. We see the freight trains all the time. We're often waiting for them behind our cars, right? Uh, yeah. But all those rail lines are controlled by private companies. And I, I've been in on some conversations and learned how difficult it can be to move a simple bit of freight from one side of town to the other because you have to cross all these different companies' lines, right? And yeah. so uh, thinking about this in a more integrated way where they're federally controlled, I think, would would really help increase the efficiency and the feasibility of these services, right? I don't think you're going to suddenly uh, get the feds to buy the rail lines, but I do think that there's a number of incentives they can put out there that mm. make everybody work better yeah. together. Yeah. And basically just giving them some attention will help have that effect. Yeah. They, have, they have been on the back burner. I mean, right. most freight rail has, uh, up until this last decade, this last decade we've seen a big increase in freight rail for other things than coal and what they call unit trains that are carrying one type of thing from right. a mine or a new automobiles or whatever yeah. they're carrying. Yeah. But we're seeing, you know, I, I see these trains carrying the uh, shipping containers. Yeah. And those are carrying everything. It you could know. be anything in there, yeah, right? It yeah, it could be, you know, and, and probably <laughs> is it everything in there. So the cost as, as fuel prices went up in that decade ago and rail became a lot more used by hmm. freight and that's continued i think they, the the advantages you can get you can get freight from the west coast here in a day on a train and it takes you a couple on it with the truckings but it it's moving in the right direction but we just need to get the passenger side of this on board yeah. because well passenger vehicles are a huge amount of our pollution and people need to get places yeah and if we can avoid flying planes on those two and three hundred mile trips, that will have a big difference too. Those are much more inefficient in terms of energy use per mile than the flight from New York to LA. Right. You know, so yeah, the taking off and landing stuff yeah. is, is where all your fuel gets used. So right. keep airline trips longer. Use rail for these short stuff. And yeah, one of the ideas I floated, uh, I, I kind of threw out there to uh, <laughs> Secretary Gray was that we need to get Elon Musk up here and have him start uh, drilling tunnels through Kentucky. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, why not put them underground? You know, yeah. why, you know, then, then you don't have any weather issues to deal with. You can run your electric lines in there too, and everything's safer. You don't have anything up on the surface to run into. Yeah. And Kentucky's geology. That limestone's great stuff to tunnel through. Oh, wow. Just ask the people there under the zoo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah They got this huge cavern <laughs> in there. We, you know, and, and as you look at, the, look at climate change and some of the more long-term likely scenarios, 
having places underground to go to sounds like a good idea. Mm. So mm. starting to look at tunneling mm. as, you know, might be a real smart thing to do, not just for transportation infrastructure, but for other kinds of infrastructure and for long-term safety considerations mm. as well. Because we are going to see serious changes on the surface of our planet. Yeah. You know, there's, at this point, we can't avoid them. Right. And uh, when the temperature hits 127 in the summer, you're not going to want to be sitting out in the sun. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, <laughs> uh, you're going you're gonna to want to have a nice, cool a subterranean nice hideout. Yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> and although that may sound extreme to some people, it's because you haven't thought about it. <laughs> because this is the, where we're going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were seeing temperatures up in the 120s here in different places on the planet this last year. Right. Right. And that was not a fluke. Yep, yep. Australia was recently suffering from that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's. We're seeing the results of this misbehavior of humanity for sure. Yeah. But I think there are many potential advocates for passenger rail because it's not just about you know the environment. It's also about democratizing transportation. You talked earlier about uh, getting people to hospitals. Well, yeah, I mean that's an obvious one. People who are unable to drive uh, for whatever reason, but then there's other people who can't afford. People right here in Louisville, like thirty percent of households in the West End don't don't have a car. I mean, it's it's incredibly unjust of us to not provide solutions for those kinds right. of people, right? And so it seems like there could be a coalition effort to try and push for passenger rail. And we certainly encourage you, our listeners, to think about maybe now's the time to get in touch. It sounds like the feds are more on board than the state, right? So maybe we should focus our, our attention on our state leadership. I think it's definitely good, and it'd be nice if Kentucky could elect a senator that supported rail. I yeah. Mean, I don't know if Rand Paul has taken a position on these things or not, but uh, be good to ask him. Right. Yes, so, now's uh, the time. <laughs> but uh, as well as the Democratic candidates. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, the, the, we, can't, we can't shy away from the politics. We can't shy away from the physical realities that we're mm-hmm. coming, away, coming towards, because if we do shy away from them, then they will bite us big yeah. time so the other the transportation is about economics yeah and jobs is a real issue and rail investment creates permanent jobs right highway investment temporary jobs yeah the guys that built the bridge they don't live here yeah, yeah. <laughs> they travel around you know i mean yeah. they did hire a lot of local people so that that helped with that but the the crews that are doing a lot of the highway work are, are not from the areas that they're working in they're mm. from all over they're big companies that move them around mm. for these specialized things but rail creates long-term permanent employment for the people that run the trains people that work the ticket offices and uh, run the stations, the whole nine yards. So it really is a good job provider as well. Yeah. So we've got to think about those things and understand those realities in the process too. So, yeah, it would be nice to get a lot of these coalitions involved. I mean, uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of people, but I don't think a lot of people have started seeing or thinking about how transportation affects their clientele mm. as what much now. You have your intercity, which is passenger rail, and then you have your local rail. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I'm a big local rail advocate too. Yeah. For the same reasons, uh, you know, safety, efficiency, and and uh, equi- equitable. Equ- yeah. Equitability. What, what's yeah. the word? <laughs> Equity. Equity. <laughs> okay. So, 
the uh, streetcar lines we used to have were pretty wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'd love to see those back. And Cincinnati has made an investment in streetcars, so why can't Louisville, right? <laughs> yeah, well, Nashville's doing it. Yeah. St. Louis has done it. Really? And I tell you, the you know, you say, oh, well, it's going to take a lot of energy to run those lines. The untapped hydropower off the McAlpin Dam could run Louisville's electric light rail system. Wow, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, our 2.1 megawatt plant down on the Kentucky River would, could produce about a quarter of the power uh, to run a, the St. Louis light rail system, which is pretty extensive. Huh. So huh. right now, there's 80 megawatts at the, at the dam down here, active and the LGD built, dam. Yeah, it was yeah. built for it was built for a hundred. Really? Yeah. Now, the size generators they have wouldn't not uh, you couldn't just put another twenty megawatts in there. You have to be able to take the water that they aren't using. Well, let let let's just it's it's hard for me to explain this. But yeah. There there is potential ways there. That, uh, there's potential there huh. to get. An, another 20 megawatts out wow. without uh, disturbing the current stuff and and, wow. and uh, or at least a significant part of what we would need so yeah. that's cheap easy energy yeah and, and you've uh, demonstrated that potential in the kentucky river right yeah, yeah. we've we've uh, we renovated a 1927 hydroelectric plant down at shaker town and uh, it's been running quite well for the last 15 years wow so, yeah it's a the plant will be gosh and Six years, it'll be 100 years old. Wow. <laughs> so, so, and my partners have just built a, a brand new plant uh, up at Upriver on the Kentucky in Ravenna. Yeah. Uh, that uh, should go online this next week. Oh, that's so, so exciting! And yeah, they've got, they've got plans to do a couple more. <laughs> so, so uh, they, just wow. uh, just uh, just what we've done, we could run a whole light rail system for uh, wow. what we're planning to do. We could do a whole light rail system for the city of Louisville. Yeah, so, yeah, which is kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. But, that's uh, what sustainability is all about. It's tapping yeah. into the untapped potential that we already have. I'm always telling people we are so blessed in Kentucky. We have more than we could ever use. When we think about energy or food or land, it's all about equity and, and investment and what we choose uh, to pay attention to and to, to invest in. I mean, yes, there are many ways to skin the cat, but <laughs> let's choose the more sustainable options uh, to ensure our you know survival, uh, both, both locally and globally. I, I think uh, hydropower and rail and all of these solutions are things we have relied on in the past and need to look back to more as a solution for the future. You know, it's a, it's a part of our modern future if we do it right, if we, if we make those investments. And that's why I'm so excited by this Biden plan to actually kind of invest in some green infrastructure, I would call it, uh, yeah. and, and create jobs in the process, like you mentioned. Right. That, that seems like a really politically smart way to sell it. Well, I, I think it's not a sale. That's reality. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it really does do that. And then it has done that. And, and you, all you have to do is look at the European model to see how successful it is. Yeah. Because Europe is doing great. Yeah. And their train system is, is a big part of that. Yeah. Well, David, we are nearing the end of our time. This has been a great pleasure. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you would love to share? I think sustainability is a, I know it's a, it's, 
kind of a trendy word, but it's also a lifestyle that I think is, yeah. that we should be working towards. Yeah. Uh, this country is so wasteful. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a carpenter, and I and oh, I yeah. and I build, and I use a tremendous amount of stuff that I pull out of dumpsters, yeah, and, and off the street at junk pickup, and I haven't bought a toilet in years. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I've been using uh, garage door panels that uh, oh really that are would be going to the landfill. But I work with Cunningham Overhead Door, and they, they give me the ones they take out. And oh, really? They throw in the dumpster, and I use them for construction projects. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah, you can, you can do a lot with what's just our enormous waste stream. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, so I've tried to maximize that. And since I'm kind of cheap, it, <laughs> it's, also, it's also really affordable. Yeah. Thriftiness <laughs> but, uh, is always good. You end, up, you end up spending money on people rather than on material. That's good. And, and yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. Well, wonderful. I thank you for your work and your, your leadership and continued attention to sustainable transportation options with CART. And again, uh, encourage folks to check them out at cartky.org. David Coit, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Justin. It's been a pleasure. All right. Stay tuned, my friends. Coming up in just a minute, we'll have your community action calendar. All kinds of ideas for how you can get involved in making sustainability a reality now. Coming up in just a minute. Stay tuned. Flow like a river to the sea Knowing it's all in you and me Our whole world seems in harmony
We are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, listening to the sweet, sweet sounds of Apple Latin. Many thanks to them for giving us permission to use their local music on the podcast versions of our programs, which you can find on SoundCloud and archived at forwardradio.org. And you can learn more about them and their music at appalatin.com. My name is Justin Mogg. This is Sustainability Now, and it is time for us to make sustainability a reality now. So get your pencils sharpened and your calendars out, my friend. It's a big week for sustainability as we head into derby week this week well it's a good time to plant a tree Uh, i just spent the weekend doing it and you can too and trees louisville in partnership with the louisville metro department of parks and recreation has just opened another round of the residential shade tree rebate program did you know that nearly 70 percent of available planting space in jefferson county is privately owned planting a tree at your home or business or church is one of the best and easiest ways you can help expand our community tree canopy. Any Louisville resident can purchase and plant an eligible shade tree in your residential yard and apply to receive $30 back on up to three trees this spring. To apply, go to treeslouisville.org slash rebate and learn more. Also, another note before we get into our calendar. Well, it's happening this week and all through June 6th, the Speed Art Museum is presenting Promise Witness Remembrance. It's free and open to the public, and it's a new exhibit that reflects on the life of Breonna Taylor, her killing back in 2020 and the year of protests that followed in Louisville and throughout the world. The exhibition runs through June 6th and explores the dualities between a personal local story and the nation's reflection on the promise, witness, and remembrance of too many black lives lost to gun violence. The exhibit is free, but numbers are limited for social distancing, so advanced ticket reservation is strongly encouraged, and face masks will be required. You can learn more and get those free tickets at speedmuseum.org. And again, the, the exhibit Promise, Witness, and Remembrance runs through June 6th at the Speed Art Museum. Now, coming up on Tuesday, the 27th at noon, there's a great virtual event. The Ohio River Discussion Series presents Understanding Microplastics in the Ohio River Basin. The Ohio River Discussion Series is an opportunity for communities to share their knowledge and passion for the Ohio River. The series is produced by a partnership between the Ohio River Recreational Trail, the Ohio River Basin Alliance, the Foundation for Ohio River Education, or SANCO, and the National Park Service. Tuesday's webinar will feature the following topics. General perspectives on detecting and characterizing microplastics in urban watersheds with Dr. Suhail Al-Abed from the US EPA. As most plastic pollution originates in urban environments, studies of microplastics are especially relevant to the quality of waters in urban watersheds. This talk will focus on the detection and characterization methods of microplastic contaminants found in urban watersheds. The second presentation will be on the perils of plastic with Dr. Sherry Sam Mason from Penn State Bearhand. 
Dr. Mason will build off the local scale information presented by Dr. Al Abed. Uh, what do we see regionally and how does this fit into the global narrative? What does the presence of microplastics mean with regard to human consumption and impacts to human health? And what solutions exist and how can concerned citizens become involved? Dr. L. Abbott is a research chemist at the US EPA Office of Research and Development, the Center for Environmental Solutions and Emergence Response in Cincinnati, Ohio. His research activities include environmental applications and implications of nanomaterials, removal of heavy metals from waste streams, development of methods to detect and characterize microplastics in surface water, and tests for waste evaluation for disposal and reuse scenarios. He authored and co-authored more than 105 peer-reviewed journal articles and six book chapters, and he's a fellow at the American Chemical Society and the chair of the Environmental Chemistry Division of the ACS. And Dr. Sam Mason earned her bachelor's degree from the University of Texas at Austin. She completed her doctorate in chemistry at the University of Montana as a NASA Earth System Science Scholar. Her research group is among the first to study the prevalence and impact of plastic pollution within freshwater ecosystems. Among her accolades, Dr. Mason has been selected as an EPA Environmental Champion in 2016, awarded the Excellence in Environmental Research by the Earth Month Network in 2017, and earned the Heinz Award in Public Policy in 2018. While she continues her research endeavors, she has also recently moved into a new role as sustainability coordinator at Penn State Erie, the Behrend College. And the, they will both be presenting at the Ohio River Discussion on Tuesday the 27th at noon. It's virtual, and you can register at orsanco.org. That's O-R-S-A-N-C-O dot O-R-G. Now, also coming up Tuesday in the evening on April 27th at 5.30 to 7 p.m., it's an Unfair Housing in Louisville event, a community listening session. Everyone is invited to come and share your personal and family experience with barriers to accessing housing in Louisville. This listening session will be facilitated by Reese Hamilton, who is the Interim Program Manager for the Health Promotion Office and Vice President of the Black Faculty and Staff Association at the University of Louisville. Reese is a native of Louisville, specifically the West End, and she's currently working towards a PhD in public health with a concentration in health promotion and behavior. This project is funded by the Kentucky Oral Health Commission, and the event is in collaboration with the Metropolitan Housing Coalition, UofL Archives, and the Louisville Fair Housing Coalition. You can register to listen in or share your stories about unfair housing in Louisville at tinyurl.com unfair 21. That's the numbers 2-1. That's tinyurl.com slash unfair21 to register for Tuesday's uh, 5.30 to 7 p.m. Unfair Housing in Louisville event. Now, coming up on Thursday, the 29th at 6 p.m., it's uh, the Louisville Free Public Library's My Library University Fast Class on why native plant gardening is important for nature and us. This will be online at 6 p.m. on Thursday, the 29th. As species around the world and nearby go extinct, many of us feel powerless to contribute directly to solutions, thinking instead that real conservation only happens in parks and preserves. 
By using native plants in our own yards, ordinary people like you and me can have an impact on the environment. Join Dr. Margaret Carrero, Professor Emerita of Biology from UofL, live on Facebook as she discusses the benefits of native plant gardening, not only for nature, but for people as well. This virtual My Library University Fast Class is free, but registration is required and it will stream live on Facebook at lfpl.org slash mylibraryu, the letter U, which is also where you can go to register for Thursday's 6 p.m. fast class on native plants. It's at lfpl.org slash mylibrary, letter U. Now, also on Thursday at 6.30 p.m., it's Backyard Chickens 101, uh, a class at the Louisville Nature Center at 3745 Illinois Avenue. It's $15. Are you ready to increase your flock? Well, get started by attending this program and learn the basics of raising backyard chickens. This program will take place outdoors with a maximum of 10 participants and mass will be required. You can learn more and register for the Thursday 6.30 to 8 p.m. class class at louisvillenaturecenter.org. And again, it is Backyard Chickens 101 on Thursday at 6.30 p.m. louisvillenaturecenter.org. On Friday the 30th, from 9 a.m. to noon, there is going to be an invasive species removal project seeking volunteers out at Berrytown Community Center in beautiful Berrytown Park at 1300 Hefer Road. You can join this volunteer event hosted by the Louisville Metro Parks and Recreation on Friday the 30th from 9 a.m. to noon in Berrytown Park, 1300 Hefer Road. And you might be able to find more information at facebook.com slash KY Parks. On Friday the 30th, the Louisville Community Grocery is really excited to be hosting their first pop-up shop of 2021 in partnership with Volunteers of America out at 43rd and Broadway. It's going to feature grocery and plant sales and community health services. They're thrilled to be partnering with Volunteers of America for this special event, which will soon become a regular occurrence as we build momentum towards choosing our location and opening our community-owned store. The pop-up will feature free Louisville Vegan Jerky for everyone who purchases as an ownership on-site. Louisville Vegan Jerky is a business owner of the co-op. Yes, businesses can have a share in the grocery store, too and made this donation to help us grow. And you can get your own ownership for just $25 if you're a youth, senior, or person with economic barriers, or you can begin uh, your payments with just a $30 down payment on that day of. And Volunteers of America will be providing community health services while the Louisville Community Grocery sells local farm produce and grocery items that you cannot find anywhere else in the neighborhood. Whether you live in Shawnee neighborhood or not, take this opportunity to come out and meet the owners, support the co-op, learn more about what we're working on, and enjoy the area. Why not have a picnic in Shawnee Park before or after you shop? Grab a bite from Big Mama's for dinner while you're at it. It's going to be a great time from noon to 6 p.m. on Friday the 30th out at 43rd and Broadway. You can get all the details at louisvillecommunitygrocery.com. So excited to be having some in-person events now that the COVID is waning and we're all getting vaccinated. 
Uh, also on Friday the 30th at 6 p.m., there's going to be a Smoketown virtual talkback session online. Thanks to recommendations from people in Smoketown and a community-based committee, the two acres of vacant land at the corner of Preston and Finzer Streets will be sold early next year, and the income from the sale will create a new Smoketown community fund at the Community Foundation. People who live, work, worship, and serve in Smoketown will decide how to use the money to support this historically black neighborhood on the east side of downtown. The Community Foundation of Louisville and the Center for Neighborhoods are asking the public to submit your thoughts about what should not be built on the land so that this sale won't result in a project that does not help Smoketown. Through deed restrictions, we can reduce the chances of development that does not fit or benefit the community. As part of this process, they've been hosting community conversations, and this coming Friday is your last opportunity to hear and ask questions about the sale of the two acres at Preston and Finzer Streets and the Smoketown Community Fund. For more information and to register for Friday's live talkback at 6 p.m., go to smoketownfeedback.org. Again, to register for this free event on Friday at 6 p.m., go to smoketownfeedback.org, and you can also submit your comments online there. And finally, I want to remind you that the Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light film series on Engaging Spring, We Got This, it wraps up this coming Sunday, May 2nd, at 6 to 7.30 p.m. online. This series is going to screen short films that will inspire us to take action on the extraction industry in Kentucky. There, it involves free screenings on Sunday evenings to be followed by Interfaith Dialogue, and we'll wrap up with an advocacy event on May 9th to, to take collective action for change. And this coming Sunday, May 2nd, the film at 6 p.m. will be called Water Warriors. It's the story of a community's successful fight to protect their water from the oil and natural gas industry. Watches indigenous communities and activists in New Brunswick, Canada, band together to prevent an energy company from destroying the environment in search of natural gas. You can get all the details and register for this free film series and discussion series at KentuckyIPL.org. That's Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light. You can find them at KentuckyIPL.org. And that is all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you for tuning in and paying attention and taking action for sustainability. And I will be back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Be well.